Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to True Crime, the podcast that helps you find new, emerging, and undiscovered true crime podcasts. I'm Greg, the host and curator of True Crime. If you like today's episode, make sure to check out the episode description for links to subscribe. Today's episode is from Killer Heart to Hearts. Killer Heart to Hearts, hosted by Will and Elise, spotlight some of the darkest crimes in history. Some rock the world, while others have been buried deeper than their victims. Killer Heart to Hearts has been featured here several times and people seem to really like it. The episodes come out every week and they're about 30 minutes long. As always, you can send me a tweet at IndieDroppin with all the things you like and look for in true crime podcasts, and I'll do my best to find those for you. All right, let's get this show going. Begin. When police arrived at the McDonald residence, they found a mother and her two small children butchered to death while her wounded husband lay unconscious next to her dead body. Who would have wanted this enviable, well-to-do family dead? Could this have possibly been an inside job? Or could it be the work of a copycat to one of the most infamous serial killers in American history? This is Killer Heart to Hearts. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Welcome back to Killer Heart to Hearts. I'm Will. I'm Elise. So... We've got one for you today. Yes. Um, This is a crazy story. And it's so crazy, we actually had to split it into two episodes. Um, I just... This took me on so many twists and turns. Yeah, it has everything. (laughs) It really does. This, This case really has everything. Yeah, I thought I had it all figured out, just as the police obviously do, as you'll see in this case. And then it just... It just takes, takes a like, a, turn. like a left, like just into the river. <laughs> like it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, so this is the case of the Green Beret Killer. So to tell this story properly, I think it is necessary to start at the beginning and learn who Jeffrey McDonald was before the tragedy that struck his family. So he was born on October 12th, 1943 in Jamaica, New York. In high school, he was a handsome football star and very outgoing and friendly. And everyone loved him. I mean, he was even voted most popular and most likely to succeed. This is where he met Colette Stevenson, and they dated all through high school. 
They broke up before college, but resumed their relationship when they both attended Princeton University. Now, in the fall of 1963, Colette got pregnant, and so they decided to get married. Their first daughter, Kimberly, was born in April of 1964. McDonald left Princeton after his junior year and then moved his family to Chicago so he could attend medical school at Northwestern University. And then Colette then gave birth to their second child, Kristen, in May of 1967. A year after McDonald graduated from medical school, he completed an internship at the Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center in New York. He then joined the Army, and the whole family moved to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. McDonald was appointed to the Green Berets as a group surgeon in 1969. Think about that for a minute. He's 20... I think he's like 26. 26 years old, and he's a Green Beret doctor. Yeah, I mean, because he left his junior year um, to then go to medical school. So, I mean... Yeah. He's brilliant. Yeah. He's very smart. So then on February 17th, 1970, at 3.42 a.m., McDonald called police to report a stabbing. When officers arrived, they entered into a horrific scene. McDonald told investigators that he had fallen asleep on the couch in the living room that night and was later awoken by screams coming from Colette and Kimberly. When he got up to run to where the screams were coming from, three men attacked him. He described them as two white men and then a black man with an army jacket on. There was also a fourth person there as well. A woman with a blonde wig wearing a white floppy hat and white boots. She watched over the attacks, holding a lighted candle and chanting, Acid is groovy, kill the pigs. Totally normal. (laughs) I know. The three men then attacked McDonald with a club and ice pick. During the attack, his pajama top was pulled over his head and he used it to block the ice pick from penetrating him. Eventually, the intruders knocked McDonald unconscious. When he eventually came to, the house was silent. He rushed to his wife and tried to revive her, but it was too late. He covered her with his torn pajama shirt and checked on his daughter's. They were both, without a doubt, deceased as well. Mm. He then checked on his own wounds in the bathroom and washed his hands, then called the operator asking for the military police and an ambulance. Did he give any kind of, like, timeline, like how long all of that took to do? Um, there is not a timeline that he gives. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how long the intruders were in there because he says that he woke up to them already being in the house. Right. So it's unclear. Um, I think according to his story, his wife and daughters, you know, they were already being killed, slaughtered, and then came to him. So, Right. I guess the reason I'm asking is... um... I just wanted to know, like, because all the things that you said that he did between the time he woke up and when he called for help. Now, he did several things. He he checked on his wife. He checked on his daughters. He checked on himself. He washed his hands 
and then he called the, for help. Mm-hmm. Now, all of that could be nothing if it took 30 seconds to do it all, like, or mm-hmm. if it took 10 minutes. I'm thinking one of the first things I would do would be call for help. Absolutely. Yeah. Just uh, tighten your seatbelt and um, let's okay. continue on this ride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when police arrived, 25-year-old Colette was lying on the floor in her bedroom. She had been clubbed repeatedly. Both of her arms were broken. She had been stabbed 37 times with a knife and an ice pick. McDonald's pajama top was draped over her chest, and on the headboard of the bed was the word pig written in blood, and autopsy reports indicate that she was pregnant. Wow. Yeah. So this uh, sounds a little familiar, right? Yeah. Yeah. It does sound a lot like Sharon Tate. Yes. Yeah. So Kimberly, who was five years old at the time, was in her own bed. She had been clubbed in the head and stabbed in the neck with a knife eight to ten times. Kristen, who was two at the time, she was also in her bed and had been stabbed with a knife 33 times and stabbed with an ice pick 15 times. So the two-year-old. She had the most. The most wounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we will get back to that. Jeffrey McDonald's wounds, however, could almost be categorized as superficial with the exception of one clean, small, sharp incision that caused one lung to partially collapse. Other than that, he just had cuts and bruises on his body. He spent one week at the hospital and then was released. Needless to say, investigators had questions about McDonald's story. (laughs) The living room did not show signs of a giant struggle. All that seemed out of place was an overturned coffee table and a plant lying on its side. A military police officer who was one of the first people on the scene said that the coffee table in the living room was lying on its side, but detectives tried knocking the table over and over again, and it always landed on its top. And there was no way that the coffee table could have been knocked on its side during a fight, since just by the slightest motion... It went all the way to its top. Right, like it's so top-heavy that it flips onto its side and then just continues its momentum exactly. onto its top, right? Yeah. It seemed more likely that it was just placed that way. Also, the dining room was right off of the living room, and it remained completely undisturbed. And there were greeting cards on a shelf in the living room, and they were still standing upright, which just seemed so strange. Yeah. This level of disarray seemed extremely minor when you think about the three men attacking another man who was trying to fight for his life and survives. That room would be torn apart. Exactly. But what wasn't at the crime scene was also just as important as what was. It was raining that night. Yet there was no mud or muddy footprints tracked into the house from the outside. And remember that torn pajama top that helped him ward off the ice pick. During reenactment, it was discovered that the top should have been shredded by the ice pick. Instead, it had very specific puncture wounds, which indicated that it was stationary when someone stabbed at it. Also, there were no fibers found in the living room, 
which they should have been found if the fabric was torn there. But there were approximately 60 fibers found in the master bedroom, including under Colette's body. They were also found in both daughters' bedrooms and under Kristen's fingernails. Mm. There wasn't even any blood found in the living room, even though McDonald was stabbed once. But perhaps the biggest helper in putting this whole puzzle together was the fact that every member of this family had a different blood type. This is extremely rare, but in this case, it helped investigators piece together a very likely scenario. Right, because they all have their own... Yeah, you can literally track where everyone was going. Yeah. I mean, that's extraordinarily unusual for one whole family to have different blood types, but it really worked in this case. So here's what the blood splatter told. According to the blood, the fight began in the master bedroom where there was a massive amount of blood. Colette probably hit her husband with something, possibly a hairbrush. Then McDonald beat her with a stick. Their oldest daughter, Kimberly, was possibly struck by accident when she stood by the door to check on the commotion. Her head was bashed in and brain serum was found in the doorway. Yeah. McDonald probably thought Colette was already dead, so he carried Kimberly, who was more than likely mortally wounded at this point, back to her bedroom to finish the job. Kimberly's blood had been found on the pajama top that McDonald claimed he had already taken off and draped over his wife at the time. At this point, he didn't want to leave a witness behind, so he went into Kristen's room to finish her off with when Colette appeared and threw herself on top of Kristen. McDonald then bashes his wife's head again with a stick. Colette's blood was found on Kristen's bed covers. Two-year-old Kristen was awake during the murder. They know that because she had defensive wounds on her tiny hands. After killing both of them, McDonald wrapped up Colette's body and brought it back to the master bedroom. He left a footprint with Kristen's blood in it on the way back. Interesting that Mm -hmm. none of the intruders left muddy footprints coming in on a rainy evening. Mm -hmm. But But he he has a a bloody bloody one. And it wasn't intruders' bloody footprints either. Then... Remember that this was February of 1970. The Hmm. Manson murders were all anyone was talking about. Under the coffee table in the living room was an Esquire magazine with droplets of AB blood, which was Kimberly's blood type. Investigators were certain that five-year-old Kimberly didn't put it there, but McDonald would have had her blood on himself and transferred it onto the magazine. When detectives opened the magazine, there was an article about the Manson murders. So detectives believed that this gave him the idea to cover up the killings by making it look like Manson copycat struck his house, and he went back into the master bedroom and wrote the word pig on the headboard in Colette's blood. Yeah, so, wow. Mm -hmm. Um, So clearly, he was staging the scene. It seems that way. And he, you know, turned over the coffee table, probably scattered the magazines a little bit, you know, that had his uh, the blood on it. Um, And he has probably read that magazine like sometime that week and read an article about Manson and had the idea. It's like, well, this is what I'm going to do then. It gets worse. 
<laughs> I kid you not. No fingerprints were found in the blood, but fragments of surgical gloves were in the bedroom. It is unlikely that hippies would have worn surgical gloves, but a whole pack of surgical gloves were found in the cabinet under the kitchen sink, where there were also droplets of bee blood, which is McDonald's blood type. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if just the fact that there are surgical gloves in a doctor's home wouldn't necessarily raise any flags in my no, mind. No, but the fact that there's droplets of blood, right. which mean, means that he went under the kitchen sink. While he was actively bleeding. Yes. Yes. And finally, he went into the bathroom to carefully insert the ice pick into himself as to cause enough harm to show he was attacked, but not enough to end his own life. He was a surgeon after all. He then called an ambulance, threw away the weapons, and waited for help to arrive. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, so, okay. If you're in a fight with three men who have stabbed your wife and your two young daughters, both of whom are under the age of five, mm -hmm. they stabbed them Tens of times each. And this guy gets one little clean, small incision in between his ribs. It, to... it, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why would intruders leave anybody for, you know, why would they leave anyone alive? Why would you stab a two-year-old 40 times in the neck, mm -hmm. but you would leave this guy mm -hmm. just knocked unconscious? Mm -hmm. That doesn't make any sense. I know. <laughs> So on May 1st, 1970, McDonald was charged with murdering his wife and two daughters. End of story, right? <laughs> <laughs> you guys wouldn't be here if it was. <laughs> In July of 1970, there was a hearing that the Army conducted into Jeffrey McDonald's possible guilt. The defense attorney brought to light the fact that there were major inconsistencies to the investigation and initial sweep of the crime scene. Okay, this is another part that just blows my mind. When the photographer came into the house to take pictures of the scene, he got about halfway through and then got upset and sick to his stomach. So then he left. Then there was a huge time lapse before another photographer was brought onto the job to finish it. So the crime scene was never secured during that time. So items were being touched and moved around and detectives ended up with two different sets of photographs to go off of. In one set, the phone was hanging off the hook, and in another one, it was hanging on the hook. In another photo, there was a red blanket on the couch, but in another one, it was on the stairs. Another picture showed flower pot standing upright, but then in the second photo, it shows that it's on its side. That's not good. No. So many inconsistencies. I mean, anybody who's... Um old enough to remember the uh the oj simpson trial know how important 
it is to secure your crime scene and to protect the um, the integrity of the evidence. Yes. And clearly that wasn't done in this case. Yes. Approximately 27 different people came through the crime scene, potentially destroying vital evidence that could have been used to piece what happened together. When these inconsistencies add up, it can be detrimental to any case. Also, despite McDonald being an eyewitness to a woman and three men being intruders in this house and murdering his family, they did not spend much time looking into this lead. Critical evidence had been lost, including skin found under Colette's fingernails. So, in November of 1970, the post commanding officer determined that there was insufficient evidence to proceed and dismiss the charges. McDonald received an honorable discharge from the Army and returned to his home state of New York. Wow. I know. McDonald returned to work as an emergency room physician. But before too long, suspicion arose again. This time, it was from his own father-in-law, Freddie Kassab. Kassab had once been a steadfast supporter of McDonald's, but was now having major doubts. McDonald appeared on a talk show and started making jokes about the investigation. He also called Kassab several times, claiming to have tracked down one of the murderers and that he killed him himself. Freddie Kassab was so convinced of McDonald's guilt that he became his number one adversary and campaigned to have him brought to trial and soon got what he wanted. Mm-hmm. So the Cliff Notes version of what happened next are in January of 1975, a grand jury indicted McDonald and he was arrested, but was released on a $100,000 bail. In July 1975, a judge denied McDonald's argument of double jeopardy meaning that you can't be charged with the same crime twice. But this only applies if you're acquitted the first time. Right. Like if they charge you and then they don't they don't bring you to trial and they drop they the charges, s- they can drop the charges without prejudice, which means that they can then refile them at any time. Exactly. Yeah. And the judge also denied his argument that he has not been honored his right to a speedy trial. In January of 1976, a panel of the court ordered the indictment be dismissed on grounds that he was not granted a speedy trial. So they changed their mind on mm-hmm. that. May of 1978, an appeal was issued that led to the reinstatement of the indictment. So an appeal of the appeal. <laughs> and then July of 1979, his trial began. And what year were the, the killings again? They were in 1970. So, so it's been nine, nine years, years. Yes. Wow. Yes. That's a long time. Yeah. I mean, he has a point. You know, as far as the speedy trial thing is concerned. He does. Yeah. So it would appear that this case is close to being wrapped up. But trust me when I say this is just the beginning. Remember the woman in the big floppy white hat? She exists. And this story just gets stranger and stranger. This case is packed with so much information that we decided to split it into two episodes. But let's have a little discussion about what we've um, gone over so far. Yeah, there's quite a bit to unpack just in this first um, part. Yeah. Um, you know, there. what is his motive? Like, okay. why would he want to do this? Like, I, I, the only thing that I could think of. There's two. There's two things mm-hmm. that I that I thought of as as I was listening. Yes, to Yes, I would love to hear your theories. Um, one is his age. 
okay, um, we already know that he left um, uh, Princeton a year early to go to medical school. Mm -hmm. um, and then out of medical school at 20, he, so, but at 20, he had his first child. Yes. And then the second child came two years later. So he's 22, Three 22 or 23. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then he graduates medical school and he's 26 mm -hmm. and he's a Green Beret surgeon He's got two kids. He's 26 years old. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of commitment and a lot of, of responsibility for someone that I mean, age. It is, but it's 1970. Like, I think back then, commitment is more expected at that age than it is now. Yeah, yeah, I could see so, that. Which leads me to my second. Okay. <laughs> I, I was struck by the fact that they all have different blood types and this is complete 100 like out you think of that they're field, not his kids out of left field speculation <laughs> because it it also struck me that the youngest daughter bore the brunt of the attack mm -hmm. and let's for this hypothesis let's say that let's stipulate that he did it okay so we know he did it mm -hmm. um why would it be so ferocious and disproportionately so on the two-year-old baby unless maybe he discovered it wasn't his yeah i mean <clears throat> i can't really speak to what his state of mind right. would have been at that time um but <sighs> It just feels as though he had decided to commit to the fact that this was going to be a Manson-esque type crime, mm -hmm. and he needed to make it feel like this was a completely brutal attack from an outsider. Sure, but so then he, he really committed to it. Sure, but then he half-assed it on himself. And like if he's if, if that's what he's if that's what his angle is that he's gonna make it try to make it so brutal that he has to stab a baby in the neck fifty times. Well, I don't know if it was in the neck. Well, you know, but, regardless yeah. where. Um, no, I know. But yeah. for then to just just give yourself one little poke there, that's that's gonna cover it up. That's gonna make everybody believe me. Well, like that's, that doesn't make sense either. Yeah, but you know he knows what is going to do harm and what's not and so you know he he wanted to make it so that he survives it yeah but he knew okay well if i collapse a lung then that's something yeah i guess i don't know and i just want to say again like i you know i i don't have any evidence of this theory i don't i don't have anything other than something had to make him that rageful in that moment mm -hmm. that he killed his youngest baby. Yeah. And one thing that I'm going to add to that also mm -hmm. is that Colette's stepfather, McDonald's father-in-law, mm -hmm. Freddie Kassab, had also said to authorities that he never saw McDonald raise his voice to Colette and that he loved Jeffrey so much that he said that if he had another daughter he would still want the same son-in-law. So, like, and that was before he started getting suspicious of him, obviously. Yeah. 
but that was his initial reaction. You yeah. know, that was his first reaction to hearing this brutal murder is like this there's no way this could be McDonald. This yeah, there's goes, no way this could be Jeff. Yeah, it goes to show that there's no pattern of this. You right. know, like this is not this is out of character. This is an yeah. outlier. So it sort of reinforces the notion that there had to have been some sort of uh, inciting incident or event mm-hmm. that 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 led to this because you can see that it wasn't a buildup, mm-hmm. you know. Also, mm. it is really, really rare for a single killer to use two different weapons, mm-hmm. like on the same victim. You know, I mean. If he was using one weapon and then dropped it or something happened to it and then he used another one on a different victim, like that, oh, maybe. Mm -hmm. But like on these victims, they were both stabbed with both a knife and an ice pick. Right. So it leads me to believe that he was... There's something to his story, potentially, that there were other people there. Or he's just trying to make it look that way. Yes. You know, like I mean, if he's that smart to think about that, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's like, that's like covering your basis on that, but then not covering your basis on blood splatter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's just so many inconsistencies. Yeah. And, you know, the idea that perhaps there was a uh, an affair of some sort that produced one of the children you know like that would you're loving this theory it's not that i'm loving the theory (laughs) it's that i'm trying to like take in all of the information that i'm getting and try to come up with some sort of a a rationale for it Mm -hmm. you know um but that would go a long way to explaining how they all have separate blood types. Not to say that that's not possible that they would all have different blood types as a a familial unit, because they certainly could. But the odds are very low. Well, I will tell you, the odds are low, but the odds are there because sure. that was never. I'm going to just disprove what you your theory is. Mm-hmm. That was never a discussion. Yeah, so I solved it. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, as as we said, there is just a so ton much. to unpack. Yeah. So we are going to leave you with this here, leave you with this these thoughts, and then we're going to pick this up next time. So please stay tuned for part two of the Green Beret Killer. Killer Heart to Hearts is produced, written, and hosted by Elise Budell and William Cannon, and is engineered by Jordan Calhoun. Thanks again for listening to True Crime by Indie Drop-In Network. If you would like to nominate a true crime podcast to be featured, just send me a tweet at Indie Drop-In. I'd also love to hear if one of our featured podcasts is now your favorite show. Indie Drop-In survives off ad revenue and listener donations. If you would like to contribute, please consider buying me a coffee. You can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Indie Drop-In. If you look at the very bottom of the episode description, I put a link in there to make it really easy. Indie Drop-In has many other shows that you also might like. Just go to IndieDropIn.com.
All right. See you next week.